0: Welcome to Kishmir in Yiddish, with your host, Shloyma De and part two in this series.
1: You remember uh, coming to Cleveland?
0: I remember coming on the train. Yeah, I was when I got to Cleveland, I was getting ready to go into fourth grade. I came there the summer between third grade in Canada and fourth grade in uh, Cleveland. So I remember going, we took three trains to get there we uh packed up as much as we could pack up but we ended up uh most of the belongings we had in the house dishes all that stuff we didn't even move it we just uh, gave it to a secondhand store and bought new stuff in cleveland because it cost so much to try and move that in, in that era but uh the place we lived in in cleveland was much bigger than the place we had in montreal montreal there were two bedrooms my brother and I shared a bedroom, and uh, there was one parlor they called it, which was uh, had like a table in it that you could eat at, and then a little uh, Pullman kind of kitchen. So it was, this became this was a regular two-bedroom, one and a half bathroom uh, apartment. So we felt like wow, we're now living the good life. So how did you uh, how did you like America? It, it wasn't that much different than in Canada. You know, Canadians have an accent, which Americans make poke fun of all the time. Um, but we, you know, I I was used to that accent, so you don't even think it's an accent. I thought the Americans had an accent, you know. But uh, the kids were all pretty nice. I uh, I got teased a lot, because uh, no one else that I knew of had a first name of Jaime. Um, my Hebrew name is Chaim Moshe. I was named after my mother's father. Um, And, uh, you know, and in Montreal, there were a lot more Jewish people. At one point, the city of Montreal had 200,000 Jews, which is a tremendous number of Jews in a a cosmopolitan area. Cleveland had about 75,000 Jews. But no, I get to school and the teacher would introduce me. We have a new student and stand up, hi me, and tell us what, you, you know, and all the kids would snicker because they never heard the name Jaime before, and uh, so and I was I was I was a little uncomfortable with that. Uh, my parents made it worse, although not purposefully, because they realized that the apartment was limiting in terms of comfort and you know being able to play. And it was on a busy street; you couldn't go outside and play. So they moved to a two-family house in a different school district. So fifth grade, I went to another school. And uh, it was interesting because none of the kids in my other school knew the kids. There was a different city, suburbs kind of thing. So there I went through the same Jaime thing again. And then in summer between fifth grade and sixth grade, my parents bought a house, a small little uh, house, and we moved again. So I was going to a different school again. So I said to myself, well, I'm just going to use... My, I, didn't, I don't have an English middle name. My parents didn't know about English middle names. They gave me a first name and a last name. Uh, but I said, you know, I'm gonna use my Hebrew middle name, Morris, Moshe, and I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna say, I'm Morris Axe, okay? So first day, the teacher makes me stand up, give my history the whole bit. Two of the kids in that class were kids who had been in my fourth grade class in another in the same school system but a different uh, different school. So they said, You're no longer you're not Morris, you're Jaime kind of thing. And uh so that experiment ended pretty quick quickly. So now um
1: you're in America. Was was English learning the language a, a factor in growing no. up?
0: No, I learned it in in Montreal. That was all English speaking, you know, the school we went to was all English speaking. Sure. How about your parents? My parents did night school. Uh, when we first came, and my parents went to learning English as a second language, my uncle would come over and babysit with me. And that's when he would tell me stories about when he was in the partisans and that kind of stuff, because they both went to night school together. So, And then they used to learn it from listening to the radio, believe it or not. We didn't have a TV back then. There was no TV. I remember we got... Uh, First TV, I think I was about seven, six or seven. And uh, it was a big box with a small screen. And in Montreal, the test pattern would be on until four in the afternoon. And it would come on, the TV would come on at four, go off at nine. At Uh, nine o'clock, not midnight. Yeah, yeah, not midnight. Wow. So So
1: tell me some uh, stories about... Like you and your brother, were you close?
0: Yeah, we were pretty close. I mean, the five-year age difference is significant in terms of uh, maturation, so on and so forth. What's his name? His name is Kenny, Kenneth. uh, He got a more English name, um, uh, more uh, American name, so to speak. Who was he named after? What's that? Who was he named after? He named after my father's father. Oh, sure. And, And, you know, the tradition in most Orthodox Jewish families is that the uh, wife gets the name the first child after someone in her family who passed away. And then the father gets the next one, and they kind of go back and forth. The only exception is if there was someone who was really with the two of them as a part of their married life and had just passed away, they might name after that person. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about you and your brother. So we used to fool around, play around, um... Uh, When we were more in Cleveland than in Montreal, because he moved to Cleveland when he was two. You know, he he was born in 54 and we moved in 57. He was three, maybe. So he wasn't really anything. If I went out to play with some other boys in the neighborhood, I mean, he, he would just hang around the house. But as he got older, he would hang around with us kids and we always like, if we had a baseball game, we would find something for him to do. Or if we rode bikes, he would ride with us, that kind of thing. But then when I went to college, uh, he was in, uh, let's see, he was five years younger. So he was about eighth grade when I went to college. And then it became, you know, it, the, the relationship changed dramatically. I wasn't around, I'd come home from summers, I would have a job, uh, I had a car that I was driving around. So it was, we didn't have a lot in common. So you say you went to college, um, What did you become? I am a periodontist or was a periodontist. I'm retired now, which is a uh, gum surgeon, a person who does dental implants, that kind of thing. Now, how
1: did you get interested in that field? I'm so, how did, I how get did you get interested in that field?
0: Well, I, um, I, I wanted to do something in the medical field. And so when I was at college, I was pre-med. Uh, At McGill University, actually back in Montreal, and uh, and everybody says, oh, did you go back there because you you know had known it before? When I was a little kid, I didn't even I never even heard of McGill University. I went back there because it was an Ivy League education at a state college price. You know, my parents couldn't afford to send me to any anything other than a state school, but one of my guidance counselors. High school said, "Have you ever heard of McGill University?" And I said, "No." And they said, "So they gave me all these pamphlets and told me about it." And they said they take two hundred Americans every year. They take somebody from every country in the world. It's a pretty international school, and they don't do and and uh, even today it's all English speaking. Uh, they don't have any classes in French. So but, what was uh, graduation like? You know, I bet your mom and dad were proud. Oh yeah, yeah. I was the first one in my whole family to go to college and they you know the one thing that all these holocaust survivor people had to a t is they had a phenomenal work ethic and a phenomenal survival ethic otherwise they wouldn't have made it i don't think there would have been any other way and my parents imparted that to me from as as a little kid you know, they would talk to me about what you have to do to succeed and what you have to be and all this kind of stuff. So there was no question I was going to go to college. There was no question I was going to become some sort of a professional.
1: Tell uh, me a little bit about all what being Jewish meant to you. And I know that we had spoken before that you didn't really speak a whole lot of Yiddish at home. And some people did and some people well, didn't.
0: I, sp- I, I spoke a lot of Yiddish when I was very young. Yeah. But then once we... Moved to Ohio my parents would speak Yiddish when they wanted to say something that we didn't understand sure Okay, but most of the time I understood what they were saying, but by that time I hadn't spoken much Yiddish Um, so it's kind of like a conspression abyssally Yiddish. Yeah Nishazach
1: yeah yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, but you understand I
1: understand most of As- the As- yeah. me- Yes, well, hopefully you can tune in to uh, My podcast of Kashmir and Yiddish, because it's not strictly Yiddish, but a variety of subjects, and who knows, you might get a laugh. Well, I would give
0: it a try. Um, But when we grew up, my parents stopped being orthodox. Uh, They were still observant. Uh, We joined a conservative shul. When we got to Ohio, to Cleveland, uh, but we, you know we observed all the holidays. My father was not Shomer Shabbos. Uh, my, we were kosher. Our house was kosher. But somehow, I remember, like in high school, my mother had a set of unkosher dishes, so when we brought in Chinese food, we could eat on regular plates, uh, kind of thing. Uh, but you know, they, you know, Judaism to me is uh, a way of life as much as it is a religion, you know? And uh, I try to impart that to my sons and my kids, that, you know, you're a Jew, you're always gonna be a Jew, and you should be proud of being a Jew. And uh, don't let the fact that you're a small minority interfere with you being a Jew. Well, speaking
1: of your uh, family, tell me about your family, how you met your wife.
0: Okay, my wife. uh, What's her name? Her name's Barbara. And we met in high school. Um, We met, I was going to be, uh, I was a senior, and she was a junior. She was a year behind me in the same high school. And my best friend at the time was going out with her twin sister. And so he said, well, why don't you, you know, come and we'll double date. You can go out with Barbara, and I'll go out with Renee. And they were pretty identical twins, which was kind of interesting dating a twin, so to speak. So uh, I was with another girl at the time, and I had promised that I would take this girl to prom. She had bought a dress, the whole bit. So I said to my my future brother-in-law Fred, I said, Fred, you know, it's not a good idea for me to do this now. Maybe when the summer comes, I'm thinking of breaking up with this other girl that I took to prom, then I can start another relationship. And that's what happened. Right after prom, uh, I started dating Barbara and we dated for six years uh, until she got out of college and she could afford to Keep me in the style I was accustomed to, because I was a student, I was a dental student sure. when we got married, and so she was uh, she graduated with a degree in education, so she was going to be a teacher. But lo and behold, when she tried to get a teaching job, it was the height of the Vietnam War. and all the men who wanted not to get drafted became teachers because it was an it was a deferment. So she couldn't get a job. So she got a job in working in an in an office doing uh, accounting work and that kind of stuff. And then uh, my junior year of dental school, uh, my, my wife got pregnant actually in my sophomore year of dental, my second year of dental school. And then in my third year of dental school, we had twin boys. Um, and everybody says, oh, was it genetic? Was it that stuff? Our boys were totally identical. Because uh, we had DNA analysis done to when they took out the, when the babies, when they checked the umbilical cord, at that time they had, they knew what DNA was, they could determine it. My wife and her twin always thought they were identical, but they really were not identical. They were pretty close to looking alike, but they had different patterns of how their teeth came in. They had different fingerprint patterns, which is the only way they could tell they were not identical. But so there was no genetics. Identical twins is a freak of nature. It happens once every 37 births and Egg splits and you have two identical twins with the same genetic material. So here you are in Canada In dental school. No, at dental school. I went back to Cleveland. I was when I'm talking about we, we got married we, we dated long distance uh and we would i would come home for the summers back to cleveland and it we worked out well because i had a job where i worked tuesday through friday night okay and then she had a job working at a savings and loan which was also closed on monday so we had saturday sunday monday kind of time to be together uh over the summer so uh, she would come up and visit me. I would go. To, she went to University of Cincinnati. But uh, we got engaged uh, when I was in my uh, senior year of, of college, and then we got married when I finished went my freshman year of dental school.
1: And so here you have a set of twins.
0: Right. That's it. That's or, what, that we it had Two those, boys. We had two boys. They were. Uh, I was, as I said, I was in my third year of dental school, and so my wife had to quit working because it was more expensive to hire a childcare person, and I didn't like the fact that our, our kids wouldn't be reared by. At that time, all, all of our generation was reared by your mother, sure. kind of thing. So, um, so we were very fortunate because both of our parents helped us out in terms of. Babysitting when my wife had to run errands or do stuff. And, uh, you know, if we wanted to go out on a Saturday night, one of them would come over and, and do that kind of thing. And we survived. I mean, I was, I started working, uh, moonlighting more when I was in dental school, uh, to make some money. I used to go to the hospital that was right across the street from the dental school at five in the morning and do blood draws for patients, uh, cause dental school started at eight. So, I made some money doing that. I would work at my father's dry cleaning store. Summers, I used to work at UPS. So that's how we kind of did it. And then when I finished dental school, I went on to specialty training. We moved to Philadelphia to do that at University of Pennsylvania. And there I would moonlight. You can now listen, subscribe, rate, send a contact form, or leave a voice message at the yiddishpodcast.com. That's right. You can ask a question or just say hello and we may use it on an episode of Kishmir in Yiddish. Just remember theyiddishpodcast.com and tell your friends about Shloima. He is a good guy.